Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open up the Word. John chapter 21, we're uh, finishing up this series that we've been calling... Um, uh, what are we calling it? It's Beyond Small Talk. <laughs> I just blanked out. Beyond Small Talk. Where we're looking at uh, three different conversations uh, in the book of John that Jesus had one-on-one with individuals. <clears throat> and he had this beautiful way of, of breaking through the small talk, breaking through what was on the surface level of his conversations, and then getting into the heart of the people that he was talking to. And uh, sometimes very bold ways and... and uh, just, just, I love these conversations that Jesus has with people when he has these one-on-one conversations. But today we're going to look at um, a conversation in John chapter 21 that he has with the Apostle Peter. <clears throat> now, before I dive into this, I, I want to say that uh, this is, I don't know if it's my, my favorite chapter in the Bible, but it's one of my favorites to preach. Since I've been preaching, I don't know, 25, 26 years now, and, and in that time I've preached this passage multiple times and it's one of those things um, I was comparing it to this earlier that um, any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Lord of the Rings? Alright, good, good. We can be friends. Okay, so um, so Lord of the Rings, for those of you who who know Lord of the Rings and if you don't know I'm getting ready to enlighten you that those are those are long movies like each of those movies is like two and a half, three hours long they're long movies, right? But for a Lord of the Rings, I mean it's and it is an epic Story, and even if you're not into the movies, maybe you're more into the books, you know, Tolkien's books or whatever. And and, um, and, so, uh, <laughs> and so maybe you're more into the into the books. Regardless, books, movie, it is an epic. I mean, it's the definition of an epic story. Okay, and for uh, Lord of the Rings fans, when it comes to those movies, and it's like you know, you add them all, all three of them up together, it's like nine hours worth of movies and. Man, if you're a fan, you just can't get enough of it. And then when they released them to DVD and Blu-ray, uh, you know, and then re-released them with the extended editions, and it was like, um, and all the Lord of the Rings fans were like, okay, I could have nine hours of Lord of the Rings or 20 hours of Lord of the Rings. Yes, sign me up, 20, please. And it's like, you cannot get enough of it. And that's the way I feel about preaching this passage. Like, uh, this is one of those passages that it, it's hard for me to preach in the time that we have a lot of here. I want to sit on it for about two hours. We should preach this thing over a meal. I mean, it's just, it is so rich. It is so, uh, there's so much going on in this passage, so much backstory, stuff like that. I, just, I love, it's a great story. I love telling the story. So don't worry, I'm not going to preach two hours today. Uh, we'll, we'll do the meal sermon another time. That sounds like a great idea to me, actually. And, uh, and so, uh, but for today, we're going we're gonna to dig in. I'm going to try to uh, kind of pull out a handful of gems out of the story that I think pertain to the series that we've been preaching through. And we're going to look at, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, which we all are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you are. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's no Christian light and then disciple. You're called to be a disciple. You were never called to be a Christian. Nobody, was at, nobody ever said, go into the world and make Christians. We were called to go and make what? Disciples. And that's what we are. So, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what are some things that you can expect out of this life of following Jesus? 
What are some things that you can expect? Now, I know a lot of people love feel-good sermons. I tend to enjoy feel-bad sermons. That's my kind of sermon. I like, I like being hit over the head with the truth. And, and, uh, and so there's, we're going to have some feel-bad moments here in just a second, followed by some really awesome feel-good moments. But, but we're just, we're just going to preach the truth. I'm never going to paint for you a rosy picture of the Christian life. Anybody who tells you that once you start following uh, Jesus, your life is going to be absolutely wonderful and you'll never have a problem again is selling you something. Because Jesus didn't even present it that way. Jesus didn't. Jesus said, uh, you know, they uh, basically all throughout the New Testament, the message we get is they killed Jesus. Why do you expect anything different? That's the message of the New Testament. And so it, it is not an easy life, this Christian life, but it is a fulfilling life. It is a fulfilling life. And so as we dive into this story, which is just, I, first, before we jump into the uh, 21st chapter, I've got to give you some backstory on Peter. All right. <clears throat> so Peter is, um, <clears throat> even though he was kind of looked at as the uh, leader of the apostles, Peter's a normal guy. Like, he's just a guy, okay? I mean, there was nothing special. I mean, he wasn't smarter than the average guy. He definitely wasn't richer than the average guy. He was just this hard-working guy. And a lot of times, if you've watched a lot of uh, movies about Jesus, you'll, and, and you kind of, you know, you, you build up this image in your mind of what, what all, you know, that, that, that whole story looks like, you'll come away with this idea that Jesus was leading around these, these 12 disciples who were kind of all middle-aged men or whatever. And, and, and actually, that's not true. That if, if Bible scholars are correct... Uh, if you want to know what Peter looked like at this point in his life, this is post-resurrection. You know, Jesus is still not quite ascended to the Father, but it's after the resurrection. If you want to know what Jesus looked like, uh, it's basically Matt. Woo! It's ba- I mean, not Jesus, not Jesus, Peter. Um, no. Peter. Now, Matt's a far cry from Jesus. So... <laughs> Now, if you want to know what Peter looked like, it's Matt, our youth pastor. It's, it's a guy in his early 20s, and, um, and so, and, and the other apostle, we're told that Peter was one of the oldest ones, and so the other apostle was probably, you know, younger than that, in their mid to late teens, that sort of thing. And, and, and that's going to, when you start reading the scripture in, in light of that knowledge right there, a lot of stuff changes. A lot, and, and be, honestly, it begins to make a whole lot more sense, and it makes more sense that the world was dumped on its head uh, based on, on these 12 guys because hasn't every major revolutionary movement that the world has ever seen been started by the youth? Hasn't it been? And this is no different where these young guys were able to, t- through the power of the Holy Spirit, turn the world on its ear and, and, uh, and change the world for Jesus Christ. And we have Peter, and when Jesus first comes in contact with him, Peter is a fisherman. He's not a recreational fisherman. Peter's not, you know, feet up on the side of the boat, napping, holding the pole. Peter is, Peter is like a hardcore, hardworking fisher, like going out, doing the grind early, early in the morning, every single day, well before the crack of dawn, getting out on the water, casting the net, bringing the net in, casting the net, bringing the net in, sometimes coming up with a large catch, sometimes coming up with hardly nothing, nothing and feeling depressed. I mean, he was working for a living. Young man out working hard 
for a living. Fishing was not a hobby. It was how he put food on the table. Okay? This is Peter. And Jesus has an encounter with Peter. Or Peter has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus calls him out of that life and says, I want to teach you how to be a fisher of men. And he begins to follow Jesus and, and, and you know, as time goes by, becomes aware that Jesus is not just some smart guy that can pull off a few tricks, that this is literally the Son of God, the, 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 the Messiah that they had been waiting for, that Jesus was God in the flesh. Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to this knowledge. And you fast forward to right before Jesus is arrested, eventually beaten and crucified. He's having a, a meal, a time uh, alone with his disciples. One of the last time he's, he's together with all of them. And he predicts, Jesus predicts, he tells Peter, uh, you know, Peter's talking big talk about how much he loves Jesus and everything. And Peter says, Peter, you need to know this. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll have denied me three times. And Peter, with all his big talks, is like, no, no way. No way that's ever happened. I would never, ever, ever, never deny you. Ever, ever, never. <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, okay, we'll see. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. And during that whole uh, period of time where he's being flogged and his trials going on and that whole thing, um, Peter is kind of in the crowds, kind of checking out what's going on with his master. He's trying to see what's happening. And as he's watching what's going on, somebody recognizes Peter and, and uh, say, hey, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter, in a moment of fear, seeing how they're treating Jesus right now, in this moment, is like, no, no, I, I don't know him. And then another person is like, no, 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 I, he's right. You, you are one of his disciples. I've seen you with him. No, no, I, I, I don't know this guy. And then another, a third person, no, I've seen you with him too. You're one of his disciples. And Peter, this time, not just no, but H-E double hockey sticks, no. Is like, there's no way I know this man. And we're told in one of the Gospels at that moment, the rooster crows and Jesus and Peter lock eyes. And Peter, so overcome with the emotion of and the shame of that moment, he runs off crying. He's weeping. He realizes what, he, what, what he's done. Jesus is crucified. <clears throat> He has been uh, risen from the grave. And he appears to the apostles a few times and to others. You know, we're told there's several appearances uh, after Jesus rises from the dead. But Peter's in this weird place. <coughs> he was one of Jesus' uh, most outspoken followers. Loved Jesus very much. And yet... I mean, he's happy that Jesus is risen, but at the same time, he's like, I don't know where I stand anymore in this because I betrayed him. I denied him just like he said I was going to, and he saw me. He knows I did it. He knows I did it. So this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. <clears throat> Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. 
And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, let me stop right there for just a second. Um, I, I've heard a lot of talk about this passage. In fact, you know, this is a widely debated, this whole chapter is kind of widely debated various aspects of it. And I've heard a lot of talk about how uh, we shouldn't read too much into this first paragraph. You know, Peter says he's going to go fishing. You know, he's just he's just overwhelmed. He kind of needs to get away, whatever. I, I could not disagree more with that idea of what's happening here. For Peter, fishing was not a way for him to unwind. For Peter, fishing was not, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I, you know, let's go relax and you know have a couple of brewskis on the boat. That that was not fishing for Peter. For Peter, fishing was his former way of life. It's the way he made his living. It's the life Jesus called him out of. Not that there was anything wrong with fishing as an occupation. But that's what Jesus called him out of. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other says, we'll go with you. And there's this moment. Peter is having this moment of crisis in his life where he does not know what to make of himself. He's not sure who he is, who Jesus is. I mean, just all this unsurety in his life. And he's like, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to fishing. And they go out and they catch nothing. The first thing I want to point out to you in terms of, of, of what this cost of discipleship in your life will be like is this. That your future will be decided. Your future will be decided. And when I mean say it will be decided... I mean it is decided for you. Your future is decided for you. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, you give up your right to choose your own future. That now you serve at the pleasure of the king, and wherever King Jesus calls you, you will follow. Wherever he leads you, you will go. Whether it is a, in a change of the way you live your life, whether it is a physical location, whether it is a job, whether it's a, a, a handing over to him a sin, a sin that you're dealing with or struggling with, whatever he leads you to do, you will follow because that's what a disciple does. Now, I'm not saying that, that he is going to um, call you out of um, you know, your, your, the best dreams you have for your life. Not saying that he's going to do that, but I'm saying he might. He might. And what we need to do, it's okay for you to make plans for your life and, and, and that sort of thing and, and, and kind of work towards a preferred future for yourself, but you hold those plans with an open hand when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You hold those plans with an open hand, and at any moment, Jesus may choose to call you down a different path. And I went through this myself. You guys have heard me tell the story a dozen times, but I went through this myself when, when I went to college initially because I, the biggest dream I had for my life was to be a music teacher. I wanted to teach music, and I went to study music. And uh, through my freshman year, I began to feel God uh, call me into a life of ministry, and I hated it. My dad was a pastor. I was like, I don't want to do that. It's horrible. And, and I hated the idea of it. It got to the point to where I was, I was bitter. I was angry about it. But I could not sleep. I could not get rest because of my thoughts. My mind was entirely consumed with this new plan that God was impressing on my life. And it wasn't until I very begr begrudgingly submitted to that call 
and said, okay, I, my prayer was literally, God, I hate this, but I need some sleep. So I'll do it. It basically will get you off my back. And as soon as I said yes to that call, God replaced all that bitterness and that anxiety about that call with joy immediately. I know that sounds like too good to be true, but I am not lying to you. As soon as I said yes, I couldn't wait to tell people about that decision. Couldn't wait. And this is what I've learned and what many of you have learned in your life is that when you embrace God's call for your life, even though it's different from your own plans, beautiful, beautiful things happen. Beautiful things happen. You have to be a a disciple who will hold your plans with an open hand and always willing at a moment's notice to, to change directions in your life if King Jesus calls you in a, in a new direction. Let's keep reading. Four, verse four. <clears throat> but as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a second because I love this so much about John. As he, in his writings, the, the apostle John always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I love that so much. It reminds me, like, we all know that mothers aren't supposed to have a favorite kid, but we all know they do, right? Right? We all know they do. And, and, and you mothers can say, I don't have, whatever, you've got a favorite. Okay, so, here's the, I know, I know, you think you don't. You do. Okay. But what's awesome is when one of those kids realizes they're the favorite, and begins to rub it in the face of the other brothers and sisters. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's, that's the picture I get of John whenever, I, whenever he refers to himself as, you know, the, the, you know, all these other guys and the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, that sort of thing. And, and, and it's just this idea of, I just get that picture of that little bit. But anyway, that's, but, but here, here's, the, here's more than just the humor of that situation. Can I, can I ask you a question? Can you look at yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Can you? Can you, can you envision yourself? Like, we all know that theologically speaking, like, God's got to love you, right? I mean, that's just in his nature. He's supposed to love you, and so he does. Theologically speaking. You know, he died for you. We get that. He forgives you. We get all that. We get, you know, all of that stuff about the theology of salvation. We get all that. But beyond the theology, beyond the facts, do you really and truly believe that when God looks at you, looks at you he smiles. He smiles. He doesn't look at you with disappointment. He doesn't look at you with contempt. He doesn't look at you like he's tolerating you, but he looks at you and he smiles. And I, you know, there's all kinds of modern, you know, talk about self-image and psychobabble about, you know, to believe in yourself more and put yourself first and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And, and, and I get where they're going with that, but I, my philosophy, and I think the Bible's philosophy, is not 
how awesome you are, but how awesome you are because of Christ in you. There's nothing worthwhile inherently about me. But because of Christ in me, there's a whole lot worthwhile. Because of the way Jesus views me when he sees me, there's a whole lot. So can I just tell you, find your worth, not in yourself, because we let ourselves down daily. But find your worth in Jesus Christ. When you begin to find your self-worth in Jesus Christ, again, beautiful, beautiful things open up. That's going to last you much longer than some sense of you know, self-worth or self-entitlement that you work on the rest of your life. That was for free. That was encouraging. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's see here. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish, <coughs> excuse me, with fish laid out on it <coughs> and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. I love how Jesus does it. Like, like they, they come in, they're dragging their fish in, doing all this work. And Jesus has breakfast prepared, fish cooking. And he's like, oh yeah, bring some of yours too. Bring some of yours too. Jesus does this beautiful thing. where, And, and by the way, he, when he said bring some of your fish, he was basically saying bring some of your fish. You know the ones that I just gave you? Right? We heard L.C. talking just a second ago about the nerves, about you know making a commitment to give and things like that. And you guys have heard me say it before, but it's so true. This is such a perfect example of it that the reason you can have faith about a decision like L.C. talked about earlier, or other big decisions in your life that require faith, require some sacrifice on your part, is this: it's because the gift that God asks of you, He gives you to give back to Him. You know what I'm saying? God is not going to call you to give him something that he will not also provide for you to give. It's like you're his parents. When you give your kids money to go buy you a birthday present. (laughs) It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. God says, I want you to give this to me. And you stand back and go, I don't know if I can. And God's like, no, you can. Here you go. And then we give it back. Um, so, uh, yeah, bring me some of the fish that you've caught. Verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Uh, and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. This is the part of this chapter that many of you have heard before. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. He said to him, Well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you'll stretch out your hand, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After Jesus, after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. There's been a lot of debate for centuries uh, about this passage right here, you know, picking apart the Greek and the words for love and the, you know, why, you know, why did this discourse happen between Jesus and Peter? And, and, and I'm not going to get into all of that. I, I want to just boil it down to this, okay? Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? This is Jesus' act of restoring Peter. It's his act of letting Peter know, I know what you did. You know I know what you did. But we're still okay. Now get back to work. Get back to work. Stop fishing. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Get back to work. The second thing I want to talk about that, that you need to know in terms of this life as a disciple is that your love will be tested. Your love for God will be tested. There will be situations that come in, up, up in life that will test your love for God, your devotion to Him, your worship of Him, uh, your allegiance to Him. Your love will be tested. There will be times when you will be presented with the choice to either choose Jesus or choose the way that it seems best to you or is most comfortable to you. And the whole, the whole time Jesus is looking at you going, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's very important that we get on, that we kind of make up our mind about what is right now. And when our mind becomes made up that I will always choose Jesus even when it's not convenient or comfortable. You choose a path for your life uh, that, that you can't imagine or dream of. <clears throat> when you give up your preferred future, your preferred comfort, for what Jesus has in store for you, when you pass those tests, and by the way, Jesus spells it out for him when he says, you know, what he said to him about, you know, some, you know, you should dress yourself and walk around by yourself. But someday, somebody's going to dress you. Somebody's going to walk, help you walk. And, and John, you know, kind of a little parenthetical side note says he was telling Peter how he was going to die. Which, through church history, we know Peter died much like Jesus crucified, except upside down. Someday, somebody's going to lead you to the death that they led me to. Someday, somebody's going to dress you for a death that you wouldn't choose for yourself. And he's telling him up front, I'm testing you, and by the way, the test is not over, and the test will get worse. The test will get harder. But do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then do what I've called you to do. Keep following. Quit trying to return to your old life. Quit trying to justify your old ways. Instead, just stay faithful and follow me. Follow me. So, Verse 20. This is classic Peter. Peter turned and saw the disciple, whom Jesus loved, following them. 
the one who had uh, been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Again, he called himself the disciple of James Christ. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. I love that. This is our, this is our last glimpse of that conversation. It, it doesn't end with, you know, Jesus and Peter walking off to the sunset and Jesus patting Peter on the back. It ends with a little bit of a, of a, a rebuke, okay? That, that the whole, this whole idea of, of Peter, you know, he's just, he's, he's getting restored and he's getting some hard news and all this kind of stuff. He's been talking about his death and all kinds of stuff. And then, and then he's, Peter, you know, he, he gets a little frustrated. He starts looking around and he sees John, the disciple of Jesus loved. And, and he's, he says, Lord, what about this guy? Why are you picking on me? What about this guy? And, and Jesus does this thing, and in my mind, you know, my mind always plays out things very cinematically. So back to the Lord of the Rings reference. You guys know, in, for those of you who have seen it in the first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, and that, uh, <laughs> there's that moment in the beginning of the movie where, uh, where Gandalf the wizard has that encounter with, with little Bilbo Baggins, and Bilbo's trying to get out of something, and, and, and Gandalf puffs himself up, and he's like, Bilbo Baggins, and he gets all big, and the, you know, the screen makes him all big, and everything like that. And that's the way I look at Jesus when he does this whole thing. Like, Peter's like, what about this guy? And, and, and Jesus like, you follow me! You follow me! Quit worrying about, what's it to you if I let him live forever? You follow me! And we have this tendency to kind of turn our head to the right and left and try to see what is, is it is it fair what's going on around me you know and how is it, is everybody else have a hard as life as I have is everybody else else called you know why is it that some pastors are called to minister in Hawaii and I was called to Dixon and you know that sort of thing what 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 is up with that and and we we kind of we're, that's not fair and can I, I'm just going to tell you as a disciple of Jesus Christ your life will not be fair as the world judge, judges fairness. It will not be fair by how you measure fairness. There will always be times when you can look around and it appears somebody's got it better than you. Somebody's life of service is an easier life of service than you. It will not always be fair, but it will be just and it will be right. Because as we've said before, this universe is not your universe. You don't get to decide the definition of fair. God does. God does. And by the way, you are a fool if you ask God for fair. You are a fool. Because that's not going to go good for you at all. Fair is you dying the death that Jesus died for you. Fair is you not ever having the chance to live in a relationship with a holy, righteous God. That's fair. And if all God did in your whole life was what Jesus did for you on the cross, he has been more than fair with you. More than fair. So rather than constantly kind of looking around and trying to measure where we stand based on everybody else, what if... What if we just kept our eyes focused on Jesus? What if we just kept our eyes focused on Jesus? What if we embraced whatever it is he called us to, even if it doesn't seem fair to us? 
You know what? There will be times that people are looking at you going, it's not fair. It's not fair. But it's not about fair. It's about submitting to Christ. That last phrase, that last passage, a couple verses there, verse 24. Uh, John's referring to himself here. He says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is what you need to know, the last thing. That as a disciple of Jesus Christ, your submission will result in glory. Your submission will result in glory. First and foremost, you submitting to Christ is going to result in God being glorified. Because it's all about Him, it's not about us. And God will do whatever God needs to do to bring Himself the most glory. Even if it doesn't seem fair to you. Even if it's not the path you would choose for yourself. God will do whatever God needs to do to bring himself the most glory. And he calls us into a life that lives in agreement with that concept that we will live our lives in such a way to bring God the maximum amount of glory that we can possibly run. And when you live a life submitted to him, you'll see God glorified. You'll see one day this whole creation glorified where God says one day I'm going to set everything straight. I'm going to do a total reboot of my creation and put it back to the way I intended for it to be before sin came into this world. And you'll see that happen too. And you'll even see yourself glorified. You'll see yourself uh, claim a a new and perfect body, glorified in God's glorified kingdom, centered around the glory of God himself. God will glorify this world and God will glorify you, not because of you and not because of this world, but because it will bring him the most glory. And when we live a life of submission to him, and you can't miss this point, this is critical to the life of the disciple, this life that we live is all about submission. Submission. That's not a very popular idea. When we start talking about sacrifice and submission and things like that, it's not a very popular notion. But it is critical that you get it. Because we are called as disciples of Christ to be first and foremost submitted to, to God. Submitted to Him. Submitted to His Word. That our, His Word will be the final authority for our lives. And we will live lives of submission to him and to his word. We're also called to be submitted to the authorities. Yes, even the government authorities. And I know we kind of, you know, for all of us, most of us, I guess, we grew up in this nation where it's kind of a a popular notion to be in constant rebellion against the authorities. And while that might be a popular notion, it's not a biblical not a biblical one. And so we live lives of submission even to the authorities. Not just the government authorities, but the other authorities that have been placed over our our lives, our teachers, our our employers, um, our parents, and also our spiritual authorities. 
Those leaders at Living Hope, we call them, we call them elders. Those, those elders, those leaders that God has, has uh, ordained into this congregation, that we live lives of submission to them as well, not in some sort of weird hierarchical, I, I screwed that up, like some sort of weird, you know, power-crazed way. That's not it at all. If you think that we got power-crazed leadership, you, you haven't been here long enough, okay? But because biblically we believe that God sets aside certain leaders amongst us whom he speaks to in such a way that, he will, that they will lead the rest of us closer to him. And so when men and women in your life are calling you to a different way of living or a different way of making the choices that you're making, you consider it and you pray about it and you weigh it against scripture. And if all of that agrees, then you submit to that. You submit, you submit to that wisdom. Now this is not, again, not the life that the world around us calls us to live. But this is what I've learned as I've gotten up. When I was younger, I used to think um, that there was something very mature about kind of disregarding the way things were and have been and kind of carving out my own path. And what I have come to learn is that there is nothing, nothing more beautiful and more mature and with more strength than the disciple who completely submits. It requires you to have so much more, to be, to be a person of so much more strength to live a submitted life than it does for you to kind of willy-nilly go carving your own path disregarding every ounce of wisdom that's ever thrown at you. And I want to challenge you to embrace this disciple's life that we're all called to, this life of submission. And again, what happens is, it's not this life of, because when we hear submission, we hear oppression. And that is not biblical submission at all. When we submit in the way that we are called to submit, not only do we see the glory of God, but any ounce of uh, anxiety, of hesitation that might come with that submission, God replaces with joy. Joy and peace in our life. Now, I, you can throw up all kinds of straw men and, and you know, well, what if, you know, the government's not spending our tax money the way they should or, you know, whatever else you you know, Jesus was dealing with the Romans, and he still said pay your taxes, and they were way more wicked than we ever dreamed about. Way more. If there was ever an opportunity for Jesus to say, yeah, you shouldn't pay those taxes, and Jesus said, no, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Are there times when, when a people might need to rise up against a government? Sure. Sure, those times exist. But you know what? If it's not a big enough deal for you to grab a gun and go to work, then shut up and submit. submission to the God of this universe who went to great lengths to give you a way to live in a relationship with him. And your whole life is centered around bringing him the most glory you possibly can at whatever cost. Who cares what plan 
God has for the person sitting next to you, you follow him. You follow him. Father, we love you. <clears throat> Your word is good to us. We thank you so much that you include these stories that teach us so much about ourselves and about you. God, I just want to I want to clear the path right now and 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 admit freely when without any ounce of pride, God, that I realize that there are areas in my life that, that I still hold on to too tightly and that I'm not submitted to you in. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work in my life that it needs to do, that he needs to do. That your Holy Spirit would come into my life and change me in ways that are hard, in ways that are difficult. God, I want to live a life that is completely submitted to you. God, I want my submission to you to be joyful, to be willful, to be second nature to me, God. I pray that the same for the rest of our congregation, God, that you would just call us into this life of joyful submission. Show us the way that you have for us. Show us the way. God, where you may be calling us into areas of our life that are maybe a little difficult or strange to us, different from what we planned for ourselves, replace that hesitancy with joy. Free us from that spirit of rebellion and instead make us unified with one another and unified with you. God, you alone, you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone will get it. So we commit ourselves to you one more time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.